1: This is why Bloodstream Media produces podcasts, blogs, and other forms of content for patients, families, and clinicians impacted by rare and chronic diseases. Visit bloodstreammedia.com to learn more.
0: Hello, and welcome to the show. You're listening to Once Upon a Gene, and I'm your host, Effie Parks. Once a month, I'm going to be releasing this extra special episode in a series I'm calling A Rare Collection. It features three people from the rare disease community, each telling a true story with the same theme. I'm super excited to present the third episode in the storytelling series. I've always been moved by storytelling, and I believe there is so much power in them for both the listener and the storyteller. I'm the luckiest podcaster ever in that this is what I get to do for fun, passion and purpose. The theme for the three stories you're about to hear today is skin in the game. The storytellers have the utmost freedom to be creative and take the theme wherever their hearts desire. Today, I lined up three of my friends who are all living with a rare disease, and they're all a few of the biggest sports ball fans out there. I hope you enjoy the show. Here's a story from Adam, the Dadvocate Johnson, who's living with a mitochondrial
1: disease. Father's Day 2016. I'm on the north side of Chicago, standing on Sheffield Avenue, waiting for a moment I had dreamed about, talked about, wanted, but thought would never come. To this point, I found myself continually waiting until next year, much like the team I love. Then the line starts shuffling forward. I make my way to the gate, then through the small, crowded corridors that open up into my true field of dreams. Wrigley Field, home of the Chicago Cubs. The green ivy on the brick wall in the outfield was a sight to behold, and even though they were strangers, I was with 40,000 of my closest friends. I felt right at home in the friendly confines. Now, I love my fellow Cub fans outside of Chicago, yet this was different. These were my people, all coming together in one hallowed place at one time for a common love and support of a common hope. I've been a fan of the team ever since I can remember. People often ask why a guy from Idaho was so enamored with the so-called lovable losers. Growing up, I'd head over to my grandparents' house where Grandpa and I would listen to the legendary Harry Carey call the games. Once they'd conclude, I'd emerge from the den, and Grandma would ask me if it was going to be a good day or a bad day. While there were some good days sprinkled in, let me tell you, there were a lot of bad days. As the song Take Me Out to the Ball Game goes in Wrigleyville, we root for the Cubbies, and if they don't win, it's a shame. But even as the losses piled up, you know what happened the next day? We tune right back in. It takes a lot of dedication, persistence, perseverance to be a Cubs fan through thick and thin, one thing I knew was that the Cubs would always be there and the game would be on TV, even in the dog days of summer. Just like the Cubs had had so many bad days in my childhood summers, there were a lot of bad days ahead for me after my rare disease introduced itself. A roller coaster of emotions. Some days it seems like I'll never win. There are roadblocks, struggles, setbacks. Wins do pop up here and there, sometimes a few days in a row. Then a string of painful losses. A seemingly triumphant moment quickly turns into heartbreak. A glimmer of hope, then despair. I was wandering aimlessly after these losses, looking for help. This time, I not only wanted to find my people, I needed to find them. I dipped my toe into social media and slowly found the rare disease family. It was like my first time at Wrigley Field. I never expected to actually be there, but upon arrival, I knew I was in the right place. I'm grateful for my family and friends and couldn't do it without them. It's just nice to have the Rare family as well, because we've been there. We've lived it. And we can relate to one another on another level. The Rare Disease family is there to celebrate the successes and offer support and comfort during those losses. Just like those diehard Cub fans who remember the heartache of 1984 and 2003 where we were so close, but had the championship hopes ripped away from us. And even more so, perhaps those utterly terrible years where the team really wasn't any good at all. I was typically optimistic, yet there were plenty of times where I'd think, man, will the North Siders ever win it all? Well, the Cubs finally made it back to the World Series in the fall of 2016, five years after Grandpa passed away. He never got to see them hoist the trophy, but every year I remember, he was watching, hoping, waiting, even if the excitement was for next year. And when the Cubs, in true dramatic fashion, finished out the win and in extra innings of Game 7 for their first championship in 108 years, I dropped to my knees on the living room floor and cried. Three years later, I had my first fall, just feet away from where I shed tears of joy. I found myself on the floor again, this time with tears of pain and fear of the unknown. The diagnostic odyssey of my rare disease began in earnest that day. I could no longer push through and ignore my struggles, which were there whether I liked them or not, whether I acknowledged them or not. As difficult as it was to get up, that's what I did. You know, an interesting thing about baseball is the best teams typically lose at least one third of their games. The best hitters fail about 7 out of 10 times. Then what? You dust yourself off, you get up, learn, grow, work, and try again. Because if you don't, there's literally no chance for success. Most times, whether on the baseball field or in the day-to-day life of anyone dealing with a rare disease, we don't see all the work that is put in. The time, the sweat, the blood, the tears. But it's there. I took my daughter and son to their first Cub road games before each of them had turned two. Both times, eight years apart, I carried each of them into the stadium to share the game and the team that I love with them, like my grandfather had done with me. Just a few weeks ago, we went to our first baseball game in a couple of years. This time, my son sat on my lap while I was in my mobility scooter, and my daughter was at my side. In the moment, I was simultaneously thankful and appreciative to be there, while also hearkening back to the days when things were different for me, for us. This was a win, albeit with a bit of heartache. Reality sets in. I wonder what things might look like the next time we get to take a trip like this. I'd love to set foot inside Wrigley Field with my kids one day. Much like the pursuit of that elusive World Series trophy for my cubbies, sometimes it feels like that day might never come. But I have hope that it will, just like I have hope that we will cure my rare disease. I have to hold on to that hope, get back up and try again, dust myself off and push ahead. Laying down isn't an option. Well, I mean, with my condition, I have to lay down and often, but in a sports-themed way, laying down isn't an option. We fight, scratch, claw, hope, work, no matter how bad it gets. We will get there. We will persevere. We will win. Maybe not today. Maybe not tomorrow. We just might have to wait till next year. But we will get there, together, through hard work and perseverance. It won't be easy, and at times it seems too hard. In the movie A League of Their Own, those are the exact words star player Dottie Henson said to her manager Jimmy Dugan. His response resonates with me to this day. He said, it's supposed to be hard. If it wasn't hard, everyone would do it. The hard is what makes it great. I'm not so sure the hard is all that great in rare disease life, but I do know that despite the challenges, the ups and downs, we do have to push forward. When we fight through, when we gain that acknowledgement, we raise that awareness, get that access, find those treatments, work toward and get the cures, all while navigating the process that comes with the territory in the meantime, it's going to be hard. Yet those of us that are experiencing the hard can do it and support each other through the process. In spite of all the losses, the persistence and the perseverance, the moments we dream about, talk about, want so desperately, but wonder if they'll ever come around, well, the victories along the way, big and small, that's what makes it great. And I'm grateful that we've all come together in support of each other and in support of common hope.
0: Here is a story from Nathan Peck, patient and founder of Cure VCP.
2: When I think about having skin in the game, especially in the rare disease space, it takes me back to my sophomore year of high school, playing JV basketball and in a practice, dude came right across me with an elbow and knocked one of my front and scissor tooths out. And I was so mad it knocked half the tooth out that I grabbed that piece and threw it under the stands. I was so angry but I got right back in the game and had half a tooth the rest of practice. I was actually supposed to have that crown replaced when I was 21, but it lasted till I was 36 years old and I happened to be on a business trip in Montreal, bit into a piece of bacon. And out came the front of my tooth. And those of you that know me think I already sound redneck, but I really looked like a redneck on that trip, and caught a lot of grief from my uh, co-workers. That when we were traveling back into the U.S., because I had half a tooth sticking out, I kept my mouth shut most of the time so I wouldn't show that off. Regardless of what happens to us, you know, it's about everybody else and it's about the team and working together. Now, in hindsight, it was stupid to pick up. You know, they have that tooth and throw it under the stands of my high school because they could have glued it back on. But I think it's that dedication, that skin in the game for the greater community that is what a lot of us advocates are all about. I've always wondered if my high school renovated the the gym and if they, you know, somebody found a, a piece of half a tooth, you know, under the stands and what they thought about. I don't know. That's how I think about having skin in the game and the dedication. And the want and the desire that no matter what, you know, we're going to get this done together.
0: Here's a story from Marnie Cartelli, CRPS patient and fierce advocate.
3: Anyone who knows me knows I credit football with saving my life. This is the story of why. Growing up in what would be considered a lower middle class family, I was the youngest oopsie baby in an all-girl home. I mean, even our pets were female. It became very clear at a young age, by the trouble I kept finding myself in, that I just had natural rough-and-tumble tendencies. While young girls at that time were generally encouraged to be demure or quiet, I was naturally loud. The running joke in the family was, look for chaos and you'll find Marnie. My mom often says that if I was the firstborn, there never would have been another. When my dad first introduced me to football, I loved it. Of course, it took me a while to understand that you can't just tackle people and things because you feel like it. Something that, to this day, I'm not really sure I agree with. The first NFL game I ever saw live was when I was in college, and it was the Jets vs. Bills in the middle of December in Buffalo. I was hooked. The night I met my now-husband, we spent half the time talking football. We both say it was one of the things we fell in love with about the other. We were the couple known to throw massive football parties during the season, where there were TVs on in different rooms playing different games so people could track their fantasy players. We even planned our honeymoon in Hawaii where we could watch the Giants streaming from the tour bus early in the morning on our way to a famous volcano. Every year, from the year we met to the year my rare disease symptoms started, we went to an NFL game together. It became our tradition. It has now been six years since I've been able to complete that tradition, four years since I tried to kill myself, and three and a half years since my husband used my connection to football to help pull me back from the edge. In 2016, my symptoms started, and they progressed quickly. In the blink of an eye, I went from an able-bodied, independent person to someone who couldn't dress or feed themselves. I isolated myself in the spare bedroom because even the slightest vibration from someone else moving in bed caused such excruciating pain I would scream out. For 10 months, the only three people I saw were my physical therapist, my doctor, and my husband when he would bring food to the room. He was working extra long hours to make up for the income I lost since I was fired from my job because of the illness. I slipped deeper and deeper into a depression as the disease progressed and pain worsened. In 2017, I found myself sitting with my back against a locked bathroom door, the only sound in the room my breathing and the running water from the sink faucet. In my hand was a mix of medications whose purpose, once taken, was to end my suffering forever. My arm shook, but it wasn't out of fear. The tremors from the disease had become uncontrollable, and the doctors weren't optimistic they would stop. I remember standing and filling a paper cup with water, wondering exactly how many pills I could swallow at a given time, when by chance I heard John get home. I thought I couldn't do this to him. I couldn't have him find me. That would just be cruel. I knew I had a plan better. A few days later, John approached me about his fantasy football draft. I looked at him like he had 12 heads. I remember yelling at him and telling him he was an idiot. Why would I care about who he was drafting? There were bigger issues. I had bigger problems. He stayed calm and told me that this year, I was going to co-manage his team. That every Sunday, he was going to move me out of the bedroom that I had holed myself up in, down to the couch. When I started to protest, he put his hand up and said he didn't care what he needed to do. He would make me comfortable. He would find a way to do it. He would move furniture if he had to but every Sunday I would leave that room and come watch football. He didn't care if I fell asleep, that would be fine, but would be there in the living room with him. This wasn't up for debate. I hated this idea. I thought he had figured out what I was trying to do and he wanted to keep an eye on me. Years later, we talked about it and he said he had no idea I was trying to kill myself. He said he was just trying to connect with me over something, that I had locked myself away and closed myself off to everything and everyone, and he was trying to find a way to fix it. He was right. It took a few weeks, but gradually the game pulled me out of that dark place. Every Sunday stopped being about how much we had lost, what my prognosis was, how much treatments were going to cost. Sundays became about that blown call, that dropped pass, or even that crazy play. Football became that bridge that made me realize that while yes, I may have to live a new life as a rare disease patient, it didn't mean I lost everything I loved about my old one. I know what you want to know. Am I still suicidal? The answer is no. Yes, there are days that the pain is so indescribable, I wish I didn't exist. But I can't imagine ever not wanting to live. And yes... I credit football with helping me to get to this point, with keeping my skin in this game. And maybe, maybe this year will be the year we get back to our tradition of a live game.
0: I hope you've been enjoying this podcast. If you like what you hear, please share this show with your people. And please make sure to rate and review it on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also head over to Instagram, Facebook and Twitter to connect with me and stay updated on the show. If you're interested in sharing your story, or if you have anything you would like to contribute, please submit it to my website at effieparks.com. Thank you so much for listening to the show and for supporting me along the way. I appreciate you all so much. I don't know what kind of day you're having, but if you need a little pick-me-up, Ford's got you.